We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Today's episode is special. I know I say that every week, but today is a very good one because I I get to sit down with one of my very close friends, Mr. Gregory Ajid, and we discuss life, man. So we talk about his up-and-coming record. We talk about love. We talk about New Orleans. We talk about the importance of mentorship. We talk about success and failure. So, so many topics are covered in this short amount of time, and I know that you guys are going to love it. So help me welcome Gregory Ajid to the Working Artist Project. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, if y'all don't know, Greg is uh, he's a unicorn of sorts, man. He he plays the clarinet, and he's like a grown man, you know. And <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's not many. You know, it's difficult to find people who are above the age of ten that play clarinet. No offense, it's just not. It's just not a popular instrument. I don't even know what to say to that, man. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is going to get way too casual. I mean, you're, you're correct, though. That's definitely, uh, I'm definitely a unicorn in that sense. <laughs> yeah, man. So recently, I guess the most recent thing for you is your record, this new record, uh, Words Are Not Enough. Can you kind of like give us a, a brief you know, description of what that means, Words Are Not Enough, and how you came up with the concept for the record? Well... Um, you know, this particular record is a culmination of, I mean, many years of experiences, um, musical and non-musical. And, you know, the idea behind words are not enough really comes from the fact that, you know, you know, sometimes we try to articulate things as people and, we don't really have the facility or language or ability to really communicate that to, uh, to ourselves and to the people around us. And as musicians, especially as a clarinet player, I think a lot of times I'm able to more effectively communicate my thoughts and feelings in the context of music as opposed to maybe, maybe verbally like, uh, like I'm doing now. And so, you know, really, really the, the idea behind the record was to create an atmosphere or a palette for the audience to kind of put their own um, thoughts and ideas to the music. You know, I think a lot of times when we listen to music with lyrics, the, the song is telling you what to think. The song is telling you how to feel. Um, and when you have this instrumental music, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a, an emo, it's like a, it's very intimidating to the audience sometimes because it lets your mind wander, you know, in addition to being present to the music, you know, you have, you have to fill in the blanks yourself. <laughs> and so sometimes I think that can be a rather intimidating. So again, with this record, I really wanted to create, um, again, like a, a palette of emotions and where everyone can kind of come to their own understanding of what these songs mean to them. I think you left out the most important part. What's that? It's about love, man. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. You know, a lot of this originally, the record, you know, and it's funny because having this conversation now, um, you know, things are always changing. Things are always in flux. 
And so when this, you know, I, I'm in a different state of mind today than I was a year and a half ago when the record was recorded and, you know, the whole process up to this point, you know, my life has changed a lot. <laughs> and, you know, at, at, yeah, you know, everything comes down to love. And, you know, at that, that particular time of my life, you know, I, I think I was dealing with a lot of heartbreak and a lot of kind of, uh, you know, a lot of emotional baggage tied to this idea of, of love and relationship and things like that. And, you know, what's actually really funny is that, you know, each one of these songs has some type of meaning and, and, and it is definitely connected to a relationship, connected to a woman or you know, connected to people in my life. But, you know, it's like, it was almost like a, a search for something. And since the record came out, you know, I realized the whole time, like the person I was searching for was me, Ooh. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's almost, it's, it's kind of funny to like, look back at the work you've created and almost, you know, it definitely, it was like, it had such a huge therapeutic value and it, it Definitely, it it meant so much to me, but it, it's almost like that meaning has changed over time now. Mm. And it's funny, like with, with the record, like the first track on the CD is a, a song called "Nevermore Will I Fall in Love" uh, right. by the great Harold Baptiste. And uh, Harold Baptiste was a, a saxophonist and of no relation to Alvin Baptiste. Um, and he was a great New Orleans composer and, and just wrote a, a plethora of amazing music. And this first composition, you know, the lyrics, the song are, Nevermore Will I Fall in Love. And it, at that time, it just meant so much to me. Just, just, just what, you know, the, the idea of falling in love. You know, Darren, when is falling ever a good thing? Never. Never, right? So we put so much... Uh, emphasis on this idea that it's like we're gonna fall in love and it's like man we're never excited about falling for anything you know like we don't want to like walk down the street and fall on our face or all this kind of stuff so you know a lot of this record was, was kind of like almost like a, a maturing process and you know coming to this place where like i would like to rise to love you know i would like to consciously choose to love mm. as opposed to being like a, a victim of this situation i think yeah. a lot of language with love is very reactionary almost that like we're along we're on this roller coaster that we have no control and i don't mean control in like a negative way where we're like trying to i don't know you know i think that the word control can be a very negative thing too mm -hmm. but but we we don't always um, we have a lot more say in the direction of our lives and relationships with people than we want to acknowledge. And you know, in love, love should be a conscious decision rather than something put on you. See, what y'all don't know is me and Greg we we have these conversations about every other day. So, <laughs> <laughs> man, why don't we just get right into it and let them hear this one? Uh, Nevermore. Let's do it. Nevermore 
I would say, you know, another interesting thing about this record is, unlike most or some jazz records out today, this was a more of a collaborative effort on the writing front. It's not, we don't only hear from your voice, right? And I think that's important, especially when you're dealing with love, because there's so many dimensions mm. uh, to love. So basically, we got to hear the pers- that pers- the love perspective from multiple people, from at least five or six people on this record, right? Certainly, certainly. And yeah, man, it's, it's one of the, you know, it's, it's so amazing to hear everyone's perspective on a subject. You know, again, like I have my idea of what, you know, I'm going through and, and you know, Darian, you know, you, you contributed a song and uh, our bassist Max Moran and Josh Starkman each contributed, you know, a composition pertaining to, you know, their perspective on this subject. And so it's really, you know, I love, I love working with people and i love you know one of my favorite things to do is listen and so i I really want to get as many people involved in in projects as possible yeah man that's great so let's i want to talk about a little bit about you know new orleans and like the influence that new orleans had on you and and how it's changed over the years and where it is now you know i have you know, someone told me something that really, really like resonated with me. And it was a guitar player who lived in New York for a couple of years. And I asked him how he liked, uh, he, so he currently lives in New Orleans. And I was like, how do you like New Orleans compared to New York? And he was like, you know, New Orleans is the only city that loved me back. Wow. Or, you know what he said? He said, I love New York. But New York didn't love me back. Hmm. He said, I came to New Orleans and I love New Orleans and New Orleans loved me back. And New Orleans is a very unique city. And I think that statement, there's so much truth in that statement based on if you love New Orleans and if you partake in the community and if you if you contribute and listen and, and become, again, become part of New Orleans, New Orleans will love you back. And I think a lot of my, my life journey has been a process of, of giving to this city and to the community. And it's also been a process of receiving the love back from New Orleans and the community. So what kind of, what kind of projects are you involved in to, to enhance that community that you're a part of there? Um, well, you know, we can, we can even like just start from way back in the beginning, you know. Um, I, I grew up in Hawaii, and I moved to New Orleans in 1999 when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And I had a very—I think I had a very interesting upbringing. And um, you know, I, I was my, my parents are from Europe. They're you know, I'm a first generation American. I grew up in Hawaii, and. Uh, you know, again, I moved to New Orleans, so I've always had this like kind of outsider perspective. You know, I've never really felt—I um, uh, don't know how to say this—but you know, like really, really tied into like us. Like I, I've almost—I've been afforded the opportunity to create my identity. I've never really had to say like, "Oh, you know, like I am from this place. This is my family," and I'm—you know—I'm not like a tenth generation New Orleanian or uh, or any of those things. And so coming to New Orleans, I, I feel like I, I was always, I never had a, I didn't have like a preconceived idea of what the city was. And I came from a very, you know, 
welcome to New Orleans. And it's been like a a learning experience ever since in, in really trying to understand what this city is. So my relationship with the city really started with listening. And when I came here, I had the, the unbelievable fortune of uh, being involved with this community that was completely outside of anything I had ever known in life. And that was uh, meeting people like Alvin Baptiste, uh, Clyde Kerr Jr., Kid Jordan, um, Harold Baptiste, Ellis Marcellus, Alvin Fielder, Jackie Harris. And, and that, that community really opened up my world. <laughs> right. and, and again, also like being white, I think like this is something that I really haven't had the opportunity to talk much about. Maybe we can, we can kind of dig into this a little later, but I think it's like very pertinent to the current state of our country right now. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I'm of European heritage. I moved to New Orleans, which has a, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but there's probably a, you know, the majority of the city is black. Mm-hmm. And I think it was such an eye-opening, unique experience for me to have been, to have had so much access and opportunity and, uh, I mean, maybe just to, to be accepted into this family that was outside of something maybe I, I, I would have known as like a white person. So, you know, the, 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 my, my tale of New Orleans starts with listening and learning from these people of the community. So you talked about your parents being immigrants and you coming into this situation and adapting to the culture around you. Like, you know, and our our current president seems to vilify immigrants, at least some of them, which is very interesting. You know what I mean? What do you think about that? And like, how how does that resonate with you being a direct descendant of immigrant parents? You know, I've never really identified strongly. Like, I'm not like, hey, I'm of French heritage, and I'm going to stand up for my Frenchness or anything like that. Or you know, I'm you know, my mom is from Switzerland. Like, I've never. I'm, I'm proud of, I've always been proud of, you know, like being French and Swiss, but it's never been something that's like a defining characteristic in my mind of who I am. You know, I certainly, I consider myself American and that's really just the end of the story for me. Like I'm an American and, you know, everyone around you, around me in this community, you know, we're all brothers and sisters. And I think that having that clear palette is like a, a very unique opportunity to kind of like again not having that baggage of the the history of my family being tied into like americana and all that kind of stuff it 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 allowed me an opportunity to really like recreate my or not not recreate but like create this 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 new life almost i mean you know people who are american they have they have hundreds of years of american history and ancestry and changing that is is difficult you know mm. whether you talk about <laughs> whether you talk about the people who are direct descendants of you know confederate officers and things of that sort you know that's their heritage too and just in the same way that you know african americans are descendants of slaves you know i think a lot of what's happening right now is that we're people are trying to redefine themselves or hold on to the past you know the interesting thing about this phrase you just said i am american like that's the part that you know 
this Trump is trying to take away from these immigrants. Like they can't only be American. They have to be Mexican-American or they have to be, you know, this American or that American or like if Afghani-American. Like, you know, he's taking the American out of it. Like just he just won't let people be Americans. And I don't know if ever in American history have we let non-European descent people just be Americans. You, you know what I mean? Even Native Americans just can't be Americans. They're not even Americans. They're Native American. You know what I mean? So you got to put something in front of every American except for the European American. And, you know, this, this, this again, like, comes back to the larger idea of words are not enough, you know. And we have all these, you know, I read an amazing passage in this meditation book. And it, it was kind of, it was talking about language. And it was saying that, like, the, uh, the value of mindfulness is, is about ex- just experiencing the experience without putting a label on it. You know, like looking at the moon and, and realizing that the word moon is a label we put on the moon. And we can either stare at the moon and think to ourselves, moon, 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 or we can just be. Mm. And I think a lot of this, uh, when we were dealing with this language, like Native American, African American, you know, these these are um, like it's almost like psychological warfare in the sense that you have somebody who came around and put this label on something that just is. And outside of the label, you know, there, there are no labels without without us, you know, the human the human being coming around and putting these these words on everything. Things just exist. And so what, what's happening now is that I think as, as we, we need to redefine these labels that we have. And I think, you know, these different communities are so used to, you know, again, like these words, these words that are, that are in our heads. We need to get to what is behind the word, you know, what is. And I think a lot of these labels are meant to, like, keep our minds in cages. Damn, that's deep, man. Since you mentioned words are not enough, I want to go there now, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I want to listen to this song, you know, because I think it resonates with it will resonate with my, my listeners and they can feel how it it can be a romantic thing, but it can also be it can exemplify what we just talked about here, how the crisis of identity can separate people. And we're, you know, in, in, in that song kind of like embodies that feeling of separation yeah you know with the, with this composition i really wanted to create a palette of emotion and you know this this music is not like it's not an aaba form it's not me playing a minor pentatonic scale you know this song is an emotional palette and however however the song resonates with you is appropriate but you know for me you know this this song is kind of like a song that represents despair confusion a longing and kind of just, you know, this kind of these, these more, these darker emotions and things of that sort. And for me, this was, this was like a release of those feelings. And now, now it's, it's you know, again, in the sense that it's been a release, like it's gone now. Like I don't necessarily identify with it, but it was something that resonated with very strongly at, at a point in my life. All right, let's check it out.
but for the rest of that, they gotta buy the record. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta go over to Greg's website, download the record on iTunes or uh, anywhere it is online. Just Google Gregory Ajid. Words are not enough. Yeah, man. To me, that song is, you know, it's full of so much emotion, man. And you know, it's, it's funny because. You know, again, with that, again, the whole concept, you know, we, you, you mentioned those words like Native American, African American. You know, to me, those words are also the same thing as augmented fifth, altered scale, you know. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of like what, what's been maybe lost in, in we'll say, this, uh, this jazz community that we, we, we exist in, you know, so many of us know this music strictly through the institution and we we were raised uh, being in 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 uh, you know middle school jazz band class and you know we went to science class we went to math class we went to english class and then we went to jazz band class and our relationship with this music comes from labels and i think a lot of the value of meeting people like alvin batiste and kid jordan and and you know my mentors you know my family really is that the, these these guys had such a deep connection with this this music on, um, just just on a I don't know how to say it, just on a. They they just played the music from an emotional place, um, un, unhinged by labels, mm. and you know you there's so many you know there's so many great musicians out there and I was having a conversation with Wendell Rooney, this great trumpet player, yesterday. And he, he told me, he's like, just because you can play all the scales in the world, just because you can, you know, you can play these solos and these songs doesn't mean you're playing music. And to me, we've reached this, we've reached this, this point in, in our, in the music that we play where the music is, it's technically on a whole nother level and it's, it's very difficult to play. It's very complex, but it means nothing. And I think that's like that's like one of the the struggle as an artist is finding that balance between being creative, doing things that that are are new, and um, you know, and, and not our, our success is not purely defined by you know how many people buy a record or or any of those things. But we have to find some type of balance because art is nothing without an audience. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think it's it's so important to you know. Human human connection is so important, and that's something that I am trying to to be to involve more in my life. And when you are at a gig, to look people in the eyes, to to have people with you in that moment, like sharing that space, versus being an artist that is like, oh, you don't like my music, like, you know, fuck you. And there's there's something. I mean, I find myself. In I really love those experiences when I see shows and I am right there with the artist you know, on the same page and we're all, you know, everyone is together. You know, I love that. So we can, we can even like, again, you know, this, this idea for me of words are not enough is kind of, I guess it's been the theme of my life and I'm trying to figure out how concept applies to like all aspects of my life. And to me, we're creating this artificial separation amongst ourselves you know, again, with those words you said earlier, the Native American, African American, white, black, you know, those those are self-imposed separations. 
And, you know, again, when we're playing music, we are creating a, a space in time where we are connected with each other, where we remember that connection. Now I want to switch gears. And, and, you know, not so much, but because it was just a minute ago, you mentioned, um, you mentioned Mr. Bat and Alvin Fielder and, and, you know, a host of all, all these mentors you had over the years, man. Can we, I want to really get into Mr. Bat and the effect that he had on your life. And if you can kind of tell my audience who he is and what he did and, and why he's important to you and so many others. Uh, that came up through Louisiana. So, you know, it's it's. I feel like anything I do right now is not going to give uh, true justice to the the magnitude of Mr. Alvin Baptiste and his spirit and his character. Um, you know, he's one of those people that you just kind of had to meet. And I, I remember the first time I met him, um, I just knew that there was something special about this person. And I always had a profound respect for my time, the time that I spent with him. I remember always being very eager to to to, to just be around him. I loved I loved the time I spent around Alvin Baptiste. I absolutely loved it. And this, I remember telling myself that this was the first man that I had ever met in my life that walked that walked the walk. You know, not only I felt like I had met a lot of people who could talk that, that they would just talk, but he was the first person I had really encountered that could talk the talk and walk the walk. You know, he was always practicing. He was a man of great integrity. He was a very intelligent man. And he had a way of inspiring others by his example to be the same. You know, he was never like a person that was like, today you have to practice your two fives. Why aren't you practicing your two fives? You know, what are you doing? You should be, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Or he was never, he was, he was a man that would just look at you and be like, and then he would just start practicing. And you knew in that moment that, okay, I should be practicing too. <laughs> <laughs> he led you know, by example, I, you mean? He led by example. Mm. Yeah. And he was the first person I think I had really met in my life that displayed integrity, uh, discipline, and really led his life by example. Okay, cool. You know, and again, like, you know, Alvin Baptiste, you know, you can list off the things that, that I'm aware of that he did, you know, like he, I mean, he was the, uh, the, the first African-American soloist with the Louisiana Symphony. You know, he played the, the Mozart Concerto. In a, in a time of like you know gym, you know segregation in the South and all that kind of stuff, you know he he founded the the, the Southern Jazz Department, which is probably one of the first jazz education uh, programs in the country. Yeah, we're talking about the university, uh, Southern University. Southern, yeah, yeah. You know he's responsible for teaching people like Donald Harris and Branford Marcellus, Winton. Um, I mean the list goes on and on. Andy Jackson, you know everybody. And so, you know, anyone who's come out of New Orleans has has some type of relationship with Alvin Baptiste. That's deep, man. And you know, things things with Mister Bat were always deep. And you know, he was a very spiritual man. I know he uh, he partook in the uh, was a, a, I don't know exactly if it's a, a religious organization, but they're called the uh, Roja Krishnas. And 
and he, uh, you know, it's a very spiritual organization. And, and this man, he was always planting seeds in us. Um, you know, he would he would tell us things that were just so profound and and uh, above and beyond our comprehension. As kids, you know, he would look at us and say, like, hypnosis is a profound colloquialism that expresses an abstract truth. Ignorance, <laughs> of, yeah, ignorance and action is a powerful thing. Um, and it's funny because, like, as a child, you're like, what the hell does that mean? Control your, subje- control your subjective mind. And these are things that, like, I'm 30 years old now, and there's, there's not a week that doesn't go by that I don't think of one of these things that he used to tell me all the time. You know, how does, how does, how should, how does, uh, ignorance and action apply to my life at 30? You know, it, these are, these are lessons and these are ideas that, that are, they're going to travel with me my entire life. And at every point of my life, they're going to change in significance and meaning to me. Wow. I'm getting inspired. Just listening to you tell a story about this man. He <laughs> was amazing. And it was like, you know, and I think it was, it was, it was so interesting because I, um, at, when I when I was at NOCA, and it was a great, I think it was a very good time to be at NOCA because there was so many different perspectives on educating. Um, we were we were really getting a, a well-rounded musical education. You know, we would be bombarded by this, um, you know, a very spiritual side of the music by Mr. Alvin Baptiste, and and then you know Michael Polera was coming from a very, uh, you know, it, you know he definitely has a lot of integrity, but coming from a different perspective. You know, he was, you know, trained at Berkeley and, and, and came in. And so we were getting like a, a very well-rounded perspective on this music. So not only did we know our two fives, but we, kn- we knew how those two fives made us feel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the important part. You know, that's the important part, man. Wow. I remember one time Mr. Bat told me something and I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, I don't come from a musical family, and so I was always raised with this mentality of like, you know, you can't be a musician. Like, you know, how are you going to make money? Like, artists are broke, and you know, all these these I call that the jazz, the artist myth. Right. But um, I remember I asked Alvin Baptiste one day. I was like, hey, you know, like I think I was like, you know, how did you, how did you, or how how do you make money playing music? Like, how do you survive? How do you how do you go through the, the daily life to day to day types of things? Like, did you get a job? Like, what did you do? And I remember he was like, "Well, I used to I, I used to sell insurance, and I started t- teaching, and I composed, and you know, I did all these things." And I was like, "Well, how, what 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 is the best path for me?" And he just looked at me and he goes, "You're smart. You'll figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was like that was like some of the best advice i ever got in my life mm-hmm. really it was some of the best advice i ever got because because it empowered me to make a decision for my life and it also it also he reminded me that that i like i'm i'm i'm, I'm a powerful person you know and i can make those choices myself see those words right there is the reason I created this podcast so that people around the world could hear stories like that from Mr. Bat and stories like that from you and all the other countless artists that I've interviewed and had the pleasure of talking to so far. Now, what I want to know is how are you contributing? How are you paying that knowledge and that information forward 
in your community today and do you have any educational projects on the horizon you know um i started teaching yeah i I remember being in a classroom at the lewis armstrong jazz camp and it was the year right after hurricane katrina and it was a we'll call it a transition year because we were at a we were in a, a a satellite location. Everything was, you know, life was very different after Katrina in New Orleans. And uh, they had hired me as an intern in the camp. And I was in the classroom with like myself, Alvin Baptiste, and maybe another clarinet student. And at some point, Mr. Bat would just be like, would tell me like, okay, cool. Like that. Now you take over the class. And he would watch me teach the other, the other students. And then he would like make comments. Like, you know, he would like chime in and, when he needed to. And so, so from that point, like I've been in the classroom since I was 17 years old te- teaching, not only a student, but as a teacher. And, you know, actually I should re- rephrase that. I'm always a student in the classroom. And I feel like these opportunities when I, when I get to interact with young people, I'm learning just as much from them as they are from me. And so from that time at 17 years old, you know, I've been teaching every summer at this, this Louis Armstrong jazz camp. Again, I've been doing this educational outreach for about 10, 12 years now. I've taught, I mean, I've taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids at this point. And, you know, I understand, from a young age, I understand, I understood how this tradition is passed on. And I was given a gift by Alvin Baptiste, and it's my job to, it's, my duty as a human being to repay that gift and keep the gift going you know for the rest of my life and i do that by by gaining experience myself by by learning by becoming the best person i can be and by sharing that information with all the people around so you know even today you know i'm i'm gonna go teach and when we get off the phone right now i'm going to the high school to go teach and, you know, what's really amazing is I had an experience actually a couple of weeks ago where I was giving a clarinet lesson to uh, one of my students. And we were I was showing her the melody to Au Privat. And at one point we were, like, working on this trill on the clarinet. And, you know, like, she just started laughing. <laughs> it was, like, a very, like, like genuine, like, just a beautiful moment that we, we both kind of shared. And it was funny because in that moment, like, I had this flashback of like being the kid myself sitting there in the room with Alvin Baptiste. And it's like, you see these, I was like, I was like, wow, like this is, this is the same experience, but being able to experience it from the other side was very powerful. Yeah, man. Education, man. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know, it's so important, so important to educate yourself and to educate the and and to allow an opportunity for the other people around you to educate themselves too. Because you can't educate somebody. <laughs> right, you got to you gotta want that. Right, no, that's true. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, man, so check it out. Like, I, you know, also the, the other purpose of this podcast is for me to kind of decode what it takes to be a successful human being. And, you know, I definitely put you in that category. Any person that can play clarinet for a living is successful. <laughs> take a sip of coffee to that <laughs> <Cheers>. <laughs> now, one great thing i love about you man like every when i come to your house and i come into your room there's post-it notes everywhere with all kinds of 
like quotes and sayings and you know most people use post-it notes for reminders but no man you come up you like from all these books and things you're reading you you write down passages from these books on these post-it notes why do you do that and what effect does it have on your life i feel like i'm trying to retrain my mind right now um you know right now i'm in a process of remembering and i think also let it letting go of a lot of a lot of the bs i've picked up along the last couple of years and so we have to remember that like you know i am my best teacher you know there's teachers all around me but ultimately like, i'm the one that makes the decisions and so you know by 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 you know these these interactions like these things like these podcasts and books and you know I, I, maybe i'll find you but there's a great quote in the back of this book called Think and Grow Rich. And uh, Napoleon Hill wrote the book, and he says something along the lines of, um, you know, you are, you are a combination of the people you know in your life. And now, now you and I, if you're reading this book, you and I have become friends, and you know me, and I know you. And you've been, uh, you know, kind of led into this new opportunity of how to live your life. And so, you know, the idea behind these post-its is like, I feel like by every book I read, by every person I meet, by every CD I listen to, I'm expanding the, uh, who I am as a person. So these, these post-its and, and things are, are a constant reminder of who I am. And I have to remind myself of that. <laughs> man, that's, that's a good one, man. I was just thinking yesterday, like, cause, because of books like that and other books that I read, a lot of books I read because you suggest, right? You, I always constantly reevaluate the people who are around me, my friendships, my love ships, like everything. It's like, man, is this, are these the type of people that I need to be around in order to maintain personal growth? Totally. You, you know what I mean? It's it's, an, it's super important, man. It's like one of those. It's one of those things. And that's that's the value of like what you the what you're creating here. You know, a lot of people don't have access to Alvin Batiste. You know, again, being in New Orleans, it was a privilege for me to, to to move here. You know, I didn't choose to move here. Life happened and I ended up here. Um, but some, you know, some people who live in, in Kansas or India or Australia who don't have access to these people. And so with, you know, things like books and these podcasts and YouTube, you know, you really have an opportunity to, to meet these people. And have access to the, the information that they share, and by hearing these words from other people, I think they they really reaffirm who we want to be as people. You know, like uh, these these this is a great like exercise where it's like, um, you know, you you kind of like you think of the people you you admire the most, and a lot of times those people display qualities or characteristics that that represent your best self or how you see your best self. And the people that you hate the most, the people that you're angry with, all the, those kinds of things, those are the people that represent your worst self. Like when you're being on your bad days or the parts of yourself you don't like, those people remind you of that. <laughs> it's a mirror, right? So It's a mirror. Man, you, yeah. you just mentioned uh, Mr. Bad again. I want to get to one of his songs that you played on your uh, most recent record, Words Are Not Enough, entitled Salty Dogs. Yeah. You want to check that one out? Yeah, so it's cool. You know, the, the tune was actually originally recorded with Cannonball Adderley on his last CD called Lovers. And 
the song is called Salty Dogs. The lyrics go, I am free. Salty dogs don't bother me. I got my head in the right place for the human race. There it is. It's funny how <laughs> it's funny how that the word salty is a popular like slang word now. You know what I mean? It's like, is it? Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, I was mad salty or maybe it's a New York thing. I, I think, you know, it's maybe it's a nation. You never heard that? No, man. Okay. <laughs> well, it don't matter. Here we go. Salty dogs. that the power of community the power of mr bat all of that is bringing us together today to hear this song and, and you know frank i'd never heard that song until uh you told me about it and we played it on this record you know just to let people know together we have created a camp it's called sanaa art collective and you know i'll let you tell people a little bit about what's happening with that man so i mean again this this is kind of started with uh an idea that I guess I, I, maybe you, I, I don't remember exactly how it started, but someone suggested, hey, man, like, you know, things aren't happening the way we would like to see them do it. And so if no one else is going to do it, we got to do it. it you is. know, and, you know, I'm very much looking forward to having an opportunity to create this new, um, you know, this, this, this new camp or opportunity for other people to learn. And, you know, back to, you know, tying into the first thing you said about being a unicorn and playing clarinet, you know, I can just tell you right now how much shit I got my whole life for playing clarinet and wanting to play clarinet. You know, we, we, and and I think a lot of the theme of my life has been um, creating opportunities, you know, not sitting back and waiting to receive opportunities, but also knowing how to create them. And so this camp is uh, is our version of that creation. You know, things are happening and maybe we're not 100% on board with the, the things that are going on now. So you know what? That's instead of an opportunity for us to complain and, and bitch about how other people should or should not be doing things, now we have an opportunity to create. There it is. I think it's important. People should never be afraid to create something or to fail at something you know what i mean it's better to attempt and fail than than to not attempt and just like you know have to have it just be whack you know what i mean have like just leave your community to to someone else so totally you know in this situation where we're 
making an effort to make things the way that we think they should be uh, for the mm-hmm. benefit of people who were like us, who came up in situations who that maybe they didn't have access to certain types of musicians or certain types of artists and, you know, just to give access, really. At least that's where I'm coming from with this whole thing. Totally. I mean, I think I think one of the, the greatest things that we can do is, you know, you, you use the word successful. So as a successful person, the most important thing I can do with my life is is share that success with the people around me. And, you know, success is really a state of mind. And some of the things that the, the interactions I, I've had with people that mean the most to me are I feel inspired, when I feel better, when I feel energized, leaving an interaction. And you have to be a successful person to share that with other people. Yeah. You know, however it is you define success. You know, we're coming to an end, coming to the end here. And uh, every episode, as you know, I ask all my guests, what are they most thankful for? And I limit it to three things. So what are the three things you're most thankful for? First and foremost, I'm most thankful for my health. You know, without with this this health, man, I think everything everything starts with a strong foundation in my health. You know, if I had, if I was sick with cancer, none of this stuff would happen. You know, or or whatever it is, man, my health. And it's such a blessing to to be healthy. Um, I'm thankful for my community. I'm thankful for the people I call friends. I'm thankful for the people I call family. You know, it's it's just, man, I mean, these people never cease to amaze me and inspire me. So I'm so happy that I have an amazing community of people around me. You know, I think in some way, like, I don't know if I, thanks would be the right word, but man, I just would like to keep an open mind, you know. And I'm thankful for the many blessings I've had in my life, man, really is what it is. I do, there's just so many things. It's hard to narrow it down. But again, like this, this mindset that everything is a blessing. It's not just my iPad. It's not just my saxophone. It's not just like a gig or anything like that. Because everything that happens in my life is, 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 is a blessing in some way. I may not be able to fully understand it in the moment, but it's, you know, everything has led me to this moment and everything that's happening is leading me to another moment. And so I'm, I'm most of that, you know, I should just say I'm thankful for the moment. There it is, man. I don't know if y'all noticed, but Greg is the reason for this podcast. He he was the one. <laughs> like, I, I I was doing video series and interviewing people, and he was like, "Man, you should make sure it's a podcast." Like you kept telling me, "Man, make sure it's a podcast." And then you even let me create like ten episodes. Hey, man, make sure it's a podcast. And then I <laughs> and then I you know I, I I heeded your advice, and man, it's it's been great. You know, it's. it's over 2,000 people subscribing and listening to this thing each week. It's It's been an amazing experience for me, man. And I just want to thank you for supporting me and giving me a sharp kick in the, in the butt to, to, you know, to move it to this format. You know what I mean? Man, look, you've done the same for me so many times and kicking my ass and, and <laughs> <laughs> making sure my ass is still in track too, you know? Look, but, you know, I think a, a lot of our friendship is based on the fact that, like, you and I are, are both creators, and a lot of our lives have not been really handed to us, especially when it comes to this music and our careers. Like you and I have really had to to put in a lot of effort and creativity in making this happen. And, you know, we, we have spent thousands of hours in the practice rooms, 
we've spent thousands of hours studying and you know i think it's the thing that we you and i share is that we we our life is dedicated to to the you know to pursuing mastery yeah that's i i agree i agree man before we go though i want to make sure people know where to check out check your music out where to buy it where to stay in touch with you you know your youtube channel give me everything bro it's it's real simple at gregory ajid (laughs) g-r-e-g-o-r-y-a-g-i-d instagram youtube twitter facebook it's all that the website is gregoryajid.com right y'all get on the internet search greg look him up write him a write him a nice little message on facebook twitter instagram leave a message on his website download his record on itunes amazon you can get it anywhere and if you need a physical copy you know people still do that i guess you can get it a cd baby or you know what i mean just drop him my line let him know you listen to the podcast let him know what you think good or bad yeah man and y'all thank you so much for listening and you know we're, we're all creators we're all co-creators and we're all creating this reality that we live in so let's make it the best there it is man yo greg man thanks for coming on the working arts project yo before we go though i want to listen to one more song off man let's record. play your song play your song <laughs> 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 all right we'll play mine this one is called hate and love cannot coexist I'm like listening to this right now and I'm just like man you know like you know you, you started the interview off with like you, you, you're a unicorn and you play the, the clarinet I'm right. like man you know like everything we do goes against what people thought was possible oh yeah <laughs> there it is yeah right like play playing some avant-garde shit on the clarinet and it not sounding sad as fuck <laughs> <laughs> right seriously and yeah. it's like it's always been something like I've been fighting against man or something that I've been like not fighting against but like trying to convey that vision to other people you know i always knew it was possible but convincing the other people that it was possible was a little more difficult yeah 100 <laughs> percent. everyone wanted you to play some trad they wanted you to be you know oh, like Sidney Bechet or all these other people who came before you but you had your own path you have your own vision you have your own What's- sound it's it's but it's like man you know like my and those people's sounds are in my sound man so i love and respect the ancestors man they made it possible for me to be out here doing this and but it's like you know it's not just in the box man the box it's sorry <laughs> no mm. i just want to say i like how you talked over the bass solo wow it's fucked up. Sorry, man. This will kill a bass solo, though, man. That's too much fun. Oh, and that's that's Jordan Pate on that uh that uh uh, uh soprano saxophone support sure. support sure. Greg there. Yeah.
listen to this and it's just like, man, it goes against like all stereotypes of the clarinet. Right. <laughs> it's like, man, I, I just remember as a kid, I, you know, I remember as like a 14 year dreaming about what my tone would be when I was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And like hearing that is like it, what it is, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, so, you know, it's it's interesting that the the past that our lives take over time, you know, it's never what you think it is ever. Even when you try to force it into this little place, life has a funny way of saying no. Or yes. Or or, or yes. <laughs> and that's even scarier. Right. Exactly. What happens when life says yes? You know what? On that note, Thank y'all for listening to the Working Artist Project. (laughs) (laughs) And Greg, thank you for coming on, baby. Thank you, Darian. Later. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Working Artist Project. Before you go, I need you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on iTunes and Facebook. I would love to connect with each and every one of you. It would also be awesome if you guys could check out my Patreon page. The link will be in the description. I'll catch you guys later. Peace.